Luke chapter 11, verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness." Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. The grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So we're in this interesting section here in Luke. It's one of the reasons why I like working systematically through books of the Bible, expository preaching is what it's kind of fancily called, because there isn't much here that I would ever just pick out to go through, but it forces us to, to hear all the words of Jesus. You'll remember last week we were talking about uh, unjustified uncertainty with this idea that they were seeing these incredible works from Jesus healing people, raising people from the dead, um, teaching like no one else taught, just incredible miracles. And they cast out this mute demon from this man and they kind of sit on the fence. They, they either accuse him of being doing his, uh, his miracles by the power of Beelzebul, by the power of Satan, or else they just say, you know what, if there is just a little more proof that you were really somebody special, then we might believe you. There is this unjustified uncertainty when it comes to Jesus. But Jesus is declaring himself to be a figure worth giving your life to. I mean, Jesus is calling you and calling us as his disciples to a radical kind of life where we are taking up our cross. He says earlier in chapter 9, verse 23, he says that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, which is an instrument of death, saying, you're going to wear your death, you are going to die, 
and follow me. And he says later on in chapter 9, verse 62, that if you're going to follow Jesus and just keep looking back, no one who sets his hand to the plow and keeps looking back is worthy of the kingdom of God. Jesus, in these passages, where we are right now in the Gospel of Luke, is tough stuff. Where Jesus is calling for, we call it radical discipleship, but what he's actually He's saying, radical discipleship, this is what Christianity is. That you take up your cross and you are following Jesus. There's no complacency. Jesus is provoking. He is pushing. He is in these teachings that Luke has gathered. He is provoking and trying to get people off of center, off the fence, and, and to make a decision, urgently pursuing people to come to a position of repentance and faith in who Christ says He is. We're very uh, laissez-faire when it comes to religion in our culture today. Very hands-off. It's the laissez-faire, you know, just kind of, you know, let everybody, you know, if you, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and as long as you don't try to make me do your thing, and I, I don't try to make you do my thing, you know, everything's going to be all okay. We're very laissez-faire about religion, but Jesus was not laissez-faire. He was not hands-off when it came to how you responded to Him. He's pushing and pushing and pushing people to a crisis of what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this man who shows up, works these miracles, raises people from the dead, forgives sin? What are you going to do with this man who comes and calls God Father and says radical things like, I and the Father are one. What are you going to do with Him? And Jesus keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. He pressed the issue to get people to the point of decision. Jesus isn't concerned about having the best lattes at the front door of the church. And I'm not opposed to lattes, but I'm just saying his his idea was not, let's make sure that when you get in, we've got the cushiest pew seat. We've got to make sure that when you show up, we've got the best band that we have we know we've got some good stuff going on here, but he's not concerned about having the best, the tightest band, the best laser light show so that everyone comes in and is awed by all these things that are going on. He's, and I'm not opposed to laser light shows either. Probably not on Sunday morning, but at home we could do a laser light show. But he's, these aren't the things he's pushing for. He's not all about having the polished man up front. Thank goodness, because this has not been polished this morning. It's not about the polished guy up front. He's pushing for what are you going to do with Jesus? He's pressing you for a decision. We don't gather on a Sunday morning for life tips, how to make this life better. We are gathered to draw near to God, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. To worship Him in spirit and truth, meaning the truth about who He is in light of the truth about who we are, being honest about all of these things. I do not intend the Sunday morning, why we go through Luke, I don't intend for this to be some gentle walk in the park always. This is pressing on big realities. We are gathered to meet with the living God. We are gathered to meet with the living God and it is serious business dealing with lasting, indeed eternal issues. And when issues are that big... We need to take them seriously. There are huge consequences. And it's the reason why we work through books of the Bible. So that we meet 
the Jesus that is revealed in its pages, not hunting around for the Jesus we would like to see. We are gathered to discover, to learn of the Jesus that is revealed in these pages, not flipping around for the Jesus we'd like to see. So this is the Jesus that is. Not Vidal Sassoon Jesus, I call him at Bible studies. This hippie Jesus who's just about love, joy, bunnies, and flowers, and skipping through the fields. Jesus, here he is, and he's pushing, he's pressing with urgency, with urgency to come to a decision on who he is, which gives me reason to pause right here. Where do you stand with Jesus? Where do you stand with Jesus right now? Right now, today, have you responded to the saving call of Jesus Christ? Have you responded to the lordship claims of Jesus Christ? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Have you confessed yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? These are questions we all must face. And Jesus is pushing them on us right here in our text this morning. They are questions we must face and not be persuaded that there are responses we can put off. Uh, That was last week, right? Uh, You know, give me a little more. If I had a little more proof, I had a little more sign. Jesus is pushing against that. No. For each of us in this room this morning, the question is, what do you do with Jesus and do not delay? So Jesus brings this reality. I know I'm going along in the intro. We've got a whole bunch of verses to cover. But really, each one is four different little pericopes, four four different um, realities about how you respond to Jesus. What is your response to Jesus like? And first we have the homeless demon that's wandering about looking for a place to live. The second is the the second response is the proclamation of true blessedness, the woman who says, "Blessed is your mother." The third is the sign of Jonah, and the fourth is the openness of your eyes. We're just going to work through them one at a time. The first is this homeless demon. What kind of response is Jesus looking for out of you, out of us this morning? And the first is he's looking for an authentic response. Jesus is looking for an authentic response. What is Christianity? What is faith in Christ? Is it merely external outward conformity? Is becoming a Christian cleaning up your external life? Is it just, I, I, I'm going to stop all the things I shouldn't do and I'm going to give to the, the neighborhood center, I'm going to do some good things, stop all my bad things, hold doors for people, smile, try to be nice, I'm going to make all these external conformities. I'm going to take on a Christian life. Is Christianity mere external outward conformity? No. That does not go nearly far enough. And that's what this point is with this homeless demon, right? Any work toward a cleaner life, this man gets rid of this demon, he gets rid of this influence, and his life gets cleaned up. His life gets cleaned up, but there's no substance to the cleaning up of this life. The, the demon returns. He's like, hey, this, guy, this guy's got his act together. He's got some money now. He's, got his, got, he's holding down a job. He's, got, he's doing great. This is great. Let me go find some of my buddies. And since there's no, one take, there's, no, there's no content driving this external conformity, they all show back up and the man ends up worse off than when he began. Is our following of Jesus truly authentic? Is it true conversion? 
Not conformity. Not I'm going to put on a show that I appear Christian, but authentic conversion. Not conformity, but conversion. Is our following of Jesus truly authentic? Philip Graham Ryken says in his commentary this, says, See how dangerous it is to be satisfied with any religious change that falls short of complete conversion by the Spirit of God. Moral reformation without spiritual regeneration, it's changing your externals, changing what you do, without any spiritual renewal, regeneration, back to the quote, even leads to demonic domination. People who try a little harder to live a little better need to know this, it will never work. In order to experience real and lasting spiritual change, we need something more than personal advice or a self-help program or a recovery group. Not even casting out a demon is enough. What we need is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has promised that the Father will give to anyone who asks. He says that right after the Lord's Prayer. We need to pray for the stronger one to give us the supernatural, transforming grace of the Holy Spirit who alone can replace our lust with purity, our worry with trust, our greed with contentment, our anger with patience, our profanity with peace, and our addictions with selfless zeal for the glory of God. Is this your knowledge of Christ? Is this your knowledge of Christ? There is nothing good coming to the one who makes all sorts of moral reforms, cleans up their lives, but is not truly converted to Christ. There is no benefit if they are not converted to Christ, Christ given a new heart. All that is done in that case, according to Jesus, is clean up a house for a later destruction. Clean up a house for a later destruction. Is your faith in Jesus authentic? Is your faith in Jesus? Have you truly turned from your sins and trusted in the sacrifice of the sinless one for you? First pericope, authentic response. The second one is a believing response. There's this proclamation to Mary, uh, or to about Mary, right? This woman in the crowd says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. This, boy, your mother, you're so amazing. Your mother must be blessed. And Jesus doesn't disagree with her. I asked my Catholic friend what he responded to, and he hasn't got back to me yet on how they deal with this uh, passage here, because he doesn't disagree, right? And we know from the Magnificat that uh, beginning of Luke, Mary sings this song that, you know, she will be called blessed. And certainly, it was quite a blessing to be the mother of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't go there. He says, and we often think this way, right? And you've heard this, boy, it must have been great to have been there and seen Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing to just got to walk with Jesus? And boy, this would be so much better if I could just have been with him for a while. But Mary is with Jesus a long time. Such to the point the lady says, boy, blessed must be this person who got to raise you and see you grown up. Blessed must she be. Jesus says this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What does true blessing look like in your life? Finish this this sentence. I will be blessed when blank. I will be blessed when this happens. How do you finish that? And here Jesus tells us flat out that true blessing is knowing Him. Knowing Him. 
if you know Jesus, you're more blessed than Mary just in her natural state who got to raise him. You're more blessed than these people who got to witness these miracles. If you hear the word of Christ, if you hear the proclamation of the gospel and you obey it by believing, believing in Jesus, you are more blessed than these people who witness these miracles. Jesus himself says, this is true blessing. Do we say, I'll believe in Jesus when he does X, Y, Z. When I see him do this, then I'll believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. They didn't back then. They said, oh, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. They continue in their skepticism. True blessing does not come from putting God in a bind. If God would just all be blessed when God does this, then things will work out. True blessing comes by hearing the word of Christ and obeying it by believing him as true. We have authentic responses. Is your response a believing response? Truly treasuring Christ. That the blessing that I am after is right fellowship with the Creator through His Son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Authentic responses, not external conformities. Believing responses, truly believing blessing is found in Jesus. Is your response a repentant response? The next little pericope, next little teaching there is on the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah and this queen of the south who shows up to inquire from Solomon. You know, you just... This isn't mushy, gushy Jesus, is it? I mean, this is, this is Jesus pressing, pressing and pressing, calling for faith in Him. Here's, here is, and someone says something along the lines of a mushy, gushy Jesus. Christianity is about smiles and holding doors. Say, why don't you look up Luke eleven twenty nine? Luke eleven twenty nine. When the crowds were increasing, He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. That's not very nice. Thanks, Jesus. This generation is an evil generation. He's talking about these people around him who are seeking for this sign. And what he's saying is, you're seeking for all these signs. Here's what you need to do. Repent. Repent. You don't need to smile and a door open for you. You need to repent. And the reasons that he gives, all of these signs he's doing, these evidences we have for us, by the way, recorded for us in Scripture, We're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks, the resurrection of our Savior. All of these signs, and he's saying, you you have these signs, and yet the people of Nineveh had Jonah. And what did they do? They repented when Jonah showed up. Matthew chapter 12 uses this a little bit, and he talks about there in the sign of Jonah, the, the similarity between Jonah being three days in the belly of the fish and Jesus being three days in the tomb, and, and it is a foreshadowing of Christ. You can read about that in the book of Jonah. <laughs> the book of Jonah. That's where, the, that's where Jonah's story is found out. Matthew 12, this, this real, this, um, what, what the sign of Jonah is about. But what, what Luke is emphasizing is that Jonah becomes the sign to the people of Nineveh, not so much in the fish and Jesus and the similarity, but the sign of repent because destruction is coming. That's the sign that Jonah is for the people of Nineveh. And when they hear this message, this man comes back from the dead being swallowed by a fish for three days in the bottom of the sea. This man comes back from the dead and makes his proclamation, repent or destruction is coming your way. You know what the Ninevites do? They repent. And Jesus is saying, those people, someone far greater than Jonah is here before you, not just the prophet, but the Son of God Himself, 
And they will raise up and condemn you because they knew well enough to repent when Jonah showed up. And yet you persist in your indecisiveness. You persist in your uncertainty. You persist in your skepticism. Same with the Queen of the South. We don't have any time to go there, but if you want to look it up later, that is in 1 Kings chapter 10. The Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, shows up to Solomon to hear of his wisdom. And when, she get, when Solomon shows her around, it says that her, the breath is gone from her lungs. She's just speechless at the wisdom of Solomon, worships God. And she knew enough that when she saw Solomon to be in awe, to silence her mouth, to trust in this God that has given Solomon all his wisdom. And he's making the point, we should be at least as wise as the queen of Sheba to not reject, to look at Jesus, to hear his message, to repent and look to him. The obvious question is, will we be the object of their scorn as well at judgment? This generation is going to face at the judgment time, the men of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba are going to rise up and will condemn them because they got to see Jesus and didn't repent and they saw far less and they were repentant. Be sure that your response is an authentic response. It is a believing response. It is a repentant response. We do not come to God high-handed. We come realizing our sinfulness, our lowness, our need for rescue. The men, the Ninevites needed rescue. They came repentantly. And the lastly, make sure that your response is an authentic response, a, I've forgotten already, an authentic response, a believing response, a repentant response, and a whole response. We have this imagery of this lamp being lit and set out on a stand, right? And we could all sing the song, right? We can, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And it's hiding under a bushel. Thank you. <laughs> hiding under a bushel. Won't let Satan. Okay, but you got you to do the. Won't let, come on, that's how you do it. So, and then we're going to say, we're going to shine all over Mount Air. I'm going to let it shine. You know, you do, you kind of, they got a million different variations. You could go on this little light of mine, letting it shine. And that's, that's one implication from this passage, right? Is that you are lighting a lamp and you're sitting on a, on a hill. You could talk about other gospels that mention a lamp on a hill so that everyone else can see this gospel, this good news, to see this light. That is one takeaway, but Luke is emphasizing something else here. And it isn't this idea of you light this lamp so that everyone else around you sees. He's talking about this idea of letting your eye be open to the light that you have so that it fills your whole self with light. That the lighting of the lamp is not for everyone else. I mean, like, like the idea of uh, have, knowing the gospel, knowing who Jesus is, having an authentic, believing, repentant response, and then lighting it so everybody else could see. The, the implications here from this, having your eye open so that it puts light in your whole body, is that there is no part of my response to God that is cut off from Him. That my eye is open so that my response to Jesus is a whole response. That I don't come forward, I don't come to Jesus as Lord and say, you know what, you get Sunday mornings from 10 to 11, maybe 11.15 if the guy runs long. But that's it. And then the rest of it is mine. You know, or I come to, you know, uh, you know what, Jesus, you're going to have all of my thoughts about eternity, I will give to Jesus, but then all of my thoughts about this life, I'm going to reserve to myself. That is having a light that is hidden, that is taking this light and then covering it with a basket 
such that your body is then not lit. You do not actually see. The light that you have doesn't actually permeate or go into who you are. And Jesus warns that if you are able to compartmentalize the light that you have, Jesus controls, he gets to speak on this issue, this issue, and this issue, but all these issues are the ones that I get to speak on. If that's the kind of light you have, it's not actually light that you have, it's actually darkness. If you compartmentalize that light, it is not light, it is darkness. The warning is against trying to block certain areas of your life, giving them to Jesus while reserving other areas as off-limits to him. This is the warning from Jesus. A light that is hidden from certain parts of you is no true light. If your response to him is in any attempt a partial response, it's not a true response. It is not a true response. So these are the the emphasis that we get from these four teachings from Jesus. It is to take seriously his call to discipleship. When we show up and we hear the words of Christ, when we read our Bible, when we get into prayer, when we do all the, the duties, we, the, the spiritual disciplines that we engage in. They are to take Jesus seriously. He is not calling for moderate or apathetic responses. He's not, he's, this is an attempt from Jesus to get us off of the fence. Christ is calling and in fact warning us that we should have authentic, believing, repentant, and whole self responses to who he is. The reality is that we oftentimes have the opposite response, right? We have surface level, doubting, self-confident, and restricted responses to Christ. When you have those, they end you in hell. They end you in condemnation. They are not true responses. But when your response is authentic, believing, repenting, and whole, you have joy knowing what a treasure you have in the having of Christ. You have a joy that can weather all of the ups and downs of life because you know that your life is in the hands of a sovereign and all-good God and that His disposition towards you is one of favor through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you know Him in that way? Authentically, believingly, repenting, whole self, is His. Think of this then as we come to communion even this morning. What is your response to the call to partake of Christ even right now? We're going to sing a little Our Father. We're all going to come up front here. I'll say the words of institution. You're going to give them the opportunity to come forward. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, are repentant and believing in Him, you're invited to join us. But I want to ask you, when you come... What is your response? Is it an authentic response? Is it merely outward conformity? I should do this because I'm here. It's, a, it's something we, we do. Is it mere outward conformity or is it authentic response? This is the body, broken body, the shed blood of Jesus for me. Flee from a surface level response. Desire, pray that it would be authentic. Is it done with any sort of doubting? This is the institution Christ has set up for us. When we come to the table, remembering His broken body and shed blood, it was broken and shed for us to redeem sinners like you and like me. It's done so that we could respond in repentance and faith and be forgiven and experience true blessing. Do not come doubting. Come believing. Authentically and believing. 
this is a meal, this body that was broken and blood that was shed for me, does something, buys my pardon, buys my redemption. Do we come repentantly? We do not come strutting our goodness. We come confessing our sinfulness, desperate for the one who saves. And is your coming forward done with your whole self? It's not my Sunday morning activity. I come to the communion table. I come to Christ. All of me. All of me. No reservation. Do not come with your reservations, but laying it all at His feet, knowing that the all-good and the all-powerful God will not disappoint those who come to Him. Though anyone who comes to me, I will by no wise cast out. They will not be disappointed in the authentic, with their authentic believing, repentant, and whole self-responses to the call of this Savior. Let's pray. God, help us this morning. We flew through all those passages, God, just trying to get the big idea, but God, I pray that we would. I ask that you would help me to get these and to feel the conviction, the weight, God, that we would not come putting on a show, but that, God, our response to you would be authentic. That I would not come doubting, but believing that the blood of Christ washes away my sins. That I am truly forgiven through the shed blood of my Savior, through His work on the cross, justified by His raising from the dead, God. That I would come, that we would all come repentant, confessing our desperation for Your love to save us through the work of Your Son. And that, God, we would come giving our whole selves. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, we desire to glorify you with our whole selves. May that be our responses, God, by your help, by the aid of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.